Have you ever wondered if God actually has an opinion when it comes to education? Do you believe that education can, in fact, be neutral? This is the topic of today's episode on the Dorenda Wilson podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dorenda, wife to one for 33 years, mom to eight, nana to 10, and 28-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, which is a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, which is a 31-day devotional that I wrote for homeschooling moms. I hope you'll check those three books out if you haven't already. You can find them at my website, DorendaWilson.com. You can also find them on Amazon, and you can find The 4-Hour School Day at any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the places that I just mentioned. Also, if you are interested in getting a free digital download of a devotional that I wrote to accompany The 4-Hour School Day, you can do that by simply subscribing to my monthly email newsletter, and I'll leave a link in the show notes to make it easy for you to do that. I also want to remind you that I'm going to be at a small event in Prosser, Washington on July 29th called Schooling at Home Symposium. And uh, I've had I've sent the graphic out uh, to, and shared it, and I've had moms ask me about it. They weren't sure what to think because it looks as though it's at a residence, and it actually is. It's at my brother's house. So they have an event barn, and um, my brother and his wife have 11 children that they've homeschooled from the beginning. And so she is hosting this, and she's a wonderful mentoring mom as well. So I hope that you will click on the link that I'm going to leave in the show notes and check that out if you live in the area and would like to attend. And so that's in Prosser, Washington, near the Tri-Cities. And that is on Saturday, July 29th. And it's just from, I think, 10 to one or 10 to 2 or 10 to 3. So it's not an all-day event or a weekend. Um, so I hope to meet you there. I'd love to meet you in real life. I also want to make sure that you know about a great math resource. Um, You've heard me talk about CTC Math for some time now, but I'm just wondering if you've tried it out yet. CTC Math provides online video tutorials that make learning math easy and effective. This online math program uses creative graphics and animation that are sure to grab and keep your child's attention. Start your free trial today by visiting ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com, and I will leave a link in the show notes for that as well. Well, education is on the minds of parents now more than ever. Um, With the recent push to teach critical race theory and LBGTQ agenda in public schools, parents are frantically scrambling to make educational decisions that they hope will protect their children. But the question is, was there actually a day when our educational system was neutral? Is it even possible for education to be neutral? More importantly, I think as believers, we need to ask the question, what does God have to say about all this? What does God have to say about education? Today, Israel Wayne is here to help drill down on this and help us get the clarity that we really need. Israel was on the podcast a while back talking about the dangers of school choice, and then he came back on again along with his wife, Brooke, and we did another episode on overcoming angry and stressed out parenting. That was one of the most popular episodes we've ever published. 
I, there was so much good content in there. If you've missed out on any of those, either of those, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes so that you can go ahead and listen to those. I want to give you a little background on our guest before we get started. Israel Wayne is an author and conference speaker who has a passion for defending the Christian faith and promoting a biblical worldview. He's the author of several books, including Pitch in a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting, Education, Does God Have an Opinion?, and Answers for Homeschooling, Top 25 Questions Critics Ask, along with Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. He's also the site editor for ChristianWorldview.net and the founder of Family Renewal. Israel, welcome. Thank you, Dorinda. It's great to be back on your podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. This is a topic I think is really important for parents to hear. Um, I think it's affirming for homeschooling parents. It's also, um, I think, something that could be great to share with other uh, believing parents uh, to give them some perspective on education. So um, my first question for you is is the question I asked earlier, is education ever neutral? And is this one of the things that motivated you to write a book on God's view? On education? Well, my, my motivation for writing the Education Does God Have an Opinion book actually started about 35 years ago. Mm. I am 48 years old today. Um, oh, not my happy birthday. birthday. But, as of, at, not a, but as of today. Today, <laughs> presently, presently. <laughs> got 48 it. years okay. old in, in these <laughs> current times. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go back 35 years ago, I was 13, and I had a conversation with my mother um, some people may know her as she was the founder of a national homeschool magazine and really one of the, the early pioneers of the homeschooling movement. Um, she started uh, homeschooling my older sister and myself in 1978. So it was way mm-hmm. back before it was a popular thing. And I actually uh, graduated from homeschooling in 1991. So like we were way out ahead of most people in terms of the um, current homeschool movement. But the uh, the conversation that happened was me as a 13-year-old telling my mother, and I had been homeschooled, you know, from uh, from birth. My older sister went to government kindergarten, and my mom pulled her out, started homeschooling, not knowing that was against the law at that time. <laughs> but um, as a 13-year-old, I remember telling my mother, you know, I don't know how I will educate my children someday. Um, there are perks to homeschooling. Uh, at that time at 13, I, I thought it was great that I could sleep in and I could kind of have my own schedule and do homeschooling in my pajamas, if, if you will, all the, mm-hmm. all the stereotypical homeschool stuff, right? right. Um, but I didn't have any kind of a real perspective on why we homeschooled. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mom mm-hmm. actually didn't become a Christian until I was 12. So this is just like a year later. She's, she's a baby Christian at this time. Mm-hmm. And so I said you know, there's lots of good options out there. There's public school, there's private school, there's homeschool. And it's just sort of different strokes for different folks. There's no one right way to do it. There's no one size fits all. And I think you just sort of have to make your decision when you get there and just see what you think is best at the time, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, hmm. She said, well, that's an interesting thesis. She said, I would, and then a stereotypical homeschool mom fashion, she said, I'd like you to write an essay on that thesis, uh, but I would like for you to defend your viewpoint from the Bible and basically Mm -hmm. see if you could support that viewpoint from scripture. 
And at the time, I remember thinking, well, actually, this is going to be an easy essay for me to write because the Bible doesn't say anything on the topic of education. God is silent Mm -hmm. on this issue, and God doesn't really care how you teach your children. It's like, you know, it's just like one of the many things that the Bible doesn't speak to. The Bible doesn't talk about video games, and the Bible doesn't talk about movies, and it doesn't talk about school. So this should be quite simple. And that was my perspective. And so I sort of half... um, arrogantly agreed (laughs) to write this essay, (laughs) uh, thinking that it would be about two paragraphs and I'd be finished with it. But I went and got my Bible and a Bible concordance, and I started doing some word searches. And I didn't find schooling in the Bible, but I did, and and I really didn't even find the word education very much. Uh, It depends on the translation, but I started to find instruction and teaching and correction and exhorting and like all these other words that were used. And Mm -hmm. then I started to look at what they meant in the Hebrew or the Greek. And and what I started to find was that the Bible actually had a lot to say about the topic of teaching children. And God was not silent on the issue, that God had spoken voluminously to this issue and topic. And that was my, my first surprise. But the second surprise was I found that what God did say about the topic of education did not fit my thesis. And mm. uh, I was not equipped to be able to defend my thesis that God doesn't care how we educate our children from the Bible because the Bible seemed to give a very different perspective of that. Mm-hmm. So really, over the next 30 years, I just started um, you know, doing a deep dive into what the Bible said on the topic of education. And um, it changed my perspective really radically. It changed my worldview. I did a 180 on the whole issue from believing that God was silent and didn't care about education to believing that he, he had very definitive viewpoints on the issue of education. And so in short, um, is is education religiously neutral? No, uh, it is not. And I would go beyond that and say it's impossible for any education to be religiously neutral. And of course, that would need fleshed out a little bit as to why. But mm-hmm. uh, that, that's mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. what I found, you know, for the last 35 years as I've continued to study this topic. And that really is what led me to write my book. That's that's amazing. I love that story. And the thing I, I'm wondering is if could you just slightly go down that road of why it can't be neutral without obviously it, this could be a whole other, you know, episode or two or three or four. But what would be like maybe the most important thing that you can convey that would kind of show parents that education cannot be religiously neutral? Well, I think one of the subjects that everybody's unanimously agreed upon that it cannot be, or I'm sorry, that it is neutral or it is religiously neutral is mathematics. Mm -hmm. Um, Because some people would say, well, okay, I can see how a Christian perspective might influence how we view history as to whether God intervenes in history or not. And I could see how God might be involved in science, particularly origin questions. Did God create everything or is, you know, is everything just the result of, of chance uh, mm-hmm. but they don't see how God relates to most of the other subjects. What, what does God have to do with language arts or music or art or especially mathematics, um, physics, you know, any of those kinds of things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chemistry. So anyway, uh, that's part of what my book does, interestingly, is I, I go through each one of the academic disciplines and I talk about how every one of these subjects will be taught from either a humanistic philosophy or a biblical worldview. And I find that most Christians 
give their students a humanistic view of the academic subjects without even knowing that they're doing it. Even, mm-hmm, even Christian mm-hmm. families who are using Christian curriculum, I think, largely give their children a humanistic viewpoint. Of course, defining humanistic as putting man at the center of all things. Um, and, and really, it does go back to these two competing narratives that we have about origins because you have in the universe sort of two different aspects of creation. You have the physical world, but then you also have what we call the metaphysical world. And the metaphysical world is this world of ideas uh, and of concepts that cannot be seen or cannot be experienced uh, with our empirical senses. Mm -hmm. So we have ideas like law and government, ethics and morality, uh, religion, uh, even the scientific method itself is in the realm of metaphysics, concepts of love and altruism, uh, a, a, you know, aesthetic taste, uh, which art and beauty fall into. You know, there's a lot of these aspects of what we learn that really are in the metaphysical world, mathematics, language, uh, all of those things, um, music, music theory. None of those things are physical properties. You can't test them, you know, in a test tube or look at them under a microscope, right? So uh, we have the material world and the immaterial world or this metaphysical world. And so you have to, first of all, have a system that can account for the existence of these worlds, the the physical Mm -hmm. and the metaphysical world. And uh, the two competing ideologies on this are largely atheism, which includes evolution, and uh, biblical Christianity, or th- or theism at the very least, and so atheism and evolution says that everything came about from chance processes, that it just accidentally happened 14 billion years ago that there was an explosion of dust and gases, and those dust and gases created everything that exists. It created the physical world and the metaphysical world, and that throughout time. Uh, everything has evolved to what it is today. So even concepts like human consciousness, they say originated from the Big Bang. So like the very thoughts that I'm thinking in my head right now, the very words that you're hearing, the the concepts that we're discussing, according to naturalism and evolution, these are all just reverberations from an explosion that happened 14 billion years ago. These are still just random chance chemical firings in my brain uh, and in your brain that are giving us an illusion or a mirage of actual communication and actual meaning. And so the question is ultimately, you know, one of these narratives is true (laughs) and one of them is false, or Mm -hmm. I guess technically maybe both could be false, but they can't possibly both be true. Uh, But one of these worldviews is going to explain better than the other Uh, the existence for all of these things. So you look at mathematics and you have order and precision. You know that two plus two is always going to equal four. It's not seven on Tuesday and 13 on Friday and 98 on your birthday. It's consistent. It's constant. And yet, how do we explain for that? How do we account for that order and precision that we find within science, that we find within mathematics? We can really account for that best within the Christian worldview, which says that everything that was created was created from the mind of an infinite, uh, omniscient God who knows all things and is all powerful and uh, who also is 
uh, united and has has unity within his identity. And so we see order because it's created from the mind of a God who is orderly. Whereas uh, when we look at science, for example, we never see something chaotic or something that is chance related creating something that is highly organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this became very clear to me, you know, when I was a young boy being homeschooled, because one of the things my mom did is she would buy those those backyard science kits. Uh, well, electric, I loved electrical kits and these chemistry kits where you could do experiments yourself. And what I loved about mm-hmm. that is I'd go out in my backyard and blow things up. Right. And so I think it's the duty, you know, of every homeschool boy. Uh, and, Absolutely. And probably homeschool girls too. That they mm-hmm. need to go blow things up in their backyard or they're not really homeschooling. <laughs> and so as I was as I was blowing a lot of things up in my backyard as a child, I realized that nothing I ever blew up ever became more orderly. It right. became less ordered. Mm-hmm. And so within the created uh, the creation account, the biblical account, um, we know that two plus two always equals four because it reflects God's character and an attribute called immutability, which means that God doesn't mm-hmm. change. And he says that about himself. Right. He says, I'm the Lord, I do not change. And so that's why we have the constancy that we have in physics and in chemistry and in mathematics, um, because it reflects the nature and character of the God who made it. And everything that God mm-hmm. creates is consonant with his nature and character. Uh, the reason we have language and we want to communicate is that's who God is and that's what he's like. He is a personal God. And so we find within the created order, uh, we find unity, we find precision, we find logic because that's what God is like. Um, Evolution and atheism can never actually give us um, an adequate account for those things. Mm -hmm. And so just in terms of the origin story, which you're getting, you know, in 14,000 hours piece by piece in a government school system, they're teaching you that God is irrelevant to all of these subjects. God has nothing to do with language arts. He has nothing to do with biology. He has nothing to do with mathematics or with history or any other subject. And yet, I like how R.C. Sproul puts it. He says that, you know, if God exists, the one thing that God can never be is irrelevant Mm -hmm. to any aspect of his creation. So to Mm -hmm, say mm -hmm. God is irrelevant to some subject that he has created and and that uh, he's not important for us to understand that. Um, it is not religiously neutral. It's actually religiously hostile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think parents who are listening are now kind of wondering, like you were saying, you know, even some of the the Christian curriculum out there isn't necessarily teaching a, a Christian or biblical worldview. So what makes Christian education truly Christian? Right. Well, okay. So like, let's say that we we talk about Christian music. What makes Christian music Christian versus secular music? Well, we tend to think about the lyrics, right? What do the words say? Well, some songs will say good things. Some things will say bad things. Some songs will talk about God and Jesus. And so it's supposed that the songs that talk about God and Jesus are Christian songs. But again, let's go back to this idea of even understanding music and how music comes to be. If you study music theory, how in the world do you get the concepts of music theory from within evolution? Because again, you're saying that evolution made music. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about just the complexity and the intricacy and the mathematics that are embedded within music, we didn't create music. We didn't create mathematics. We didn't create the laws of physics or and laws of thermodynamics. We didn't create any of those things. We just discovered them. 
they, they were here before we got here. They were embedded into the universe. And so you think about music. What essentially is music? You play a note, uh, and that is a melody. Um, and then you play, say, three notes, and you make a chord, and that's harmony. And, and then you add rhythm or time to that, and you create a song. And so if you go back and say, well, what does music tell us about the nature and character of God? Well, God has revealed himself in music and that you have, you have melody, which is unity, which you know, we already learned about God from mathematics, uh, but you also have harmony or diversity. And, and then you have, of, of course, time. Well, what is God? God is one God, three persons living eternally uh, in, in history. And so God in his very nature is both unity and diversity, uh, living in eternity well, and, and expressing himself throughout history and time. And so basically what we find just within the building blocks of music is we find what God is like. He reveals his nature, his character, his attributes. Uh, or, or again, like you move over into biology and you find that dogs reproduce with other dogs but they never reproduce with birds and elephants, right? So they reproduce mm -hmm. within their own kind. That's unity. But within the dog kind, there's phenomenal diversity. And we mm -hmm. also find that within botany. We find it within zoology, you know, lots of different kinds of birds, butterflies, flowers, but all within their own kind, right? So mm -hmm. what do we see mm -hmm. there as we look at biology? We see the principle of unity, again, which we saw in mathematics, um, because God is immutable, he is changeless, and so we have order and predictability, but we also see within uh, studying the created order in science, this phenomenal diversity. Well, how do we account for that? It's because that's what we have in the first cause. God is both unity and diversity existing in harmony within the Trinity. And so God in his own personality and character has created after his image and after his likeness. And so the, the universe is just full of reflections of what God is like. And in Romans 1, Paul talks about this, and he says that everyone everywhere knows there's a God. Even though they deny it, they know there's a God. Why? Because of the things that have been made. And because mm -hmm. of the things that are, have been made, man is without excuse. Man will be culpable on the day of judgment because they know there's a God, and they're rejecting the God that they know, not the God that they don't know. Right. And this is what we see within the created order, that when we look at the precision of the universe and we see how finely tuned it is that if the sun was any closer to our earth, we'd all burn up. If it was any farther mm -hmm. away, we would freeze. If the, if mm -hmm. the moon was any further away or any closer, uh, we could not have sustained life on earth because of the way that the, the moon affects the tides and the tides affect uh, life within the ocean. Uh, we would all die of poisonous gases if the moon wasn't placed exactly where it is in relation mm -hmm. to our earth. Uh, because the moon keeps everything alive on this planet. That's right, finely right. tuned. Um, so, so anyway, all the way through everything that we study, um, we should be seeing the, the fingerprints of God in all of creation. So as opposed to saying, uh, we're going to do Christian math by, by putting some Bible verses in our textbook or saying five loaves plus two fishes equal, right? That's not Christian math. Uh, we should be able to identify how every single academic subject teaches us something about the nature and character of the God who made it 
And that's something unique, I think, that my book, uh, Education Does God Have an Opinion, does that I just really haven't seen uh, done the same way in other books on the market. Right, right. So uh, now remind me, it seems like, don't you have a, cur- a curriculum also? Like, is it master I- books? I have a brand new uh, Bible doctrine and theology uh, course that's just come out uh, here in 2023 um, that is Mm -hmm. called Foundations in Faith, and it is um, geared for about ages 12 through 18. And so it is helping them to understand the core essential doctrines of the Christian faith and um, really hoping that that teenagers will get into uh, understanding the the primary doctrines, the secondary doctrines, and be able to defend theology from the Bible itself uh, to help prevent them from being sucked into a lot of the false religions and cults and new age mysticism and just so many of the other things that are out there. Right. And and tell me again the title of that book. Remind us. It's called Foundations in Faith, and it can be purchased um, through our website, which is familyrenewal.org. We have a web store there, and if they order from familyrenewal.org forward slash store, then they can actually get signed copies. I will sign any copies that somebody orders from our website. Okay, well, we'll make sure we leave a link in the show notes for that, um, moms. But I think, you know, there's probably that that parent out there who's kind of wanting to get down to the nitty-gritty here and just want to know where in the Bible— um, does it speak to the issues of education? Can you can you point us those directions? I think one of the clearest ones, um, although you, you actually have to look in the Greek to see it, um, mm. is in Ephesians 6, 4. And we all know this passage, but it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or to wrath, mm-hmm. but instead train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Those are the words that the King James uses. Mm-hmm. And the Greek word there for nurture is... Um, is is nuthesia. And nuthesia is the word that Dr. James A- J. Adams used to start the biblical mm-hmm. counseling movement or the nuthetic biblical counseling movement. And so there's a lot of depth in the word nuthesia, but the idea is basically like everything that a biblical counselor would do with a client, um, this is what God expects from us as fathers. Mm-hmm. So a good mm-hmm. biblical counselor will listen to his client, will ask good questions, will be empathetic, uh, we'll pray with them, we'll counsel them, sometimes give a, a gentle word of rebuke or correction. There's a lot just packed into that one word, nuthesia. So it's a lot more powerful than the English word nurture, because most of us mm-hmm. as men, we're like, nurture, that's not something I relate to. And right. isn't that something women do? You know, like mm-hmm. we don't necessarily connect with that word, but nuthesia is a lot deeper than that. But then the word that's that's used for admonition is the Greek word paideia. And uh, again, we're like, well, I don't know what that means. That's Greek to me. But <laughs> if you look up paideia in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it basically says that it's Greek for education or learning. And mm-hmm. it really was the word that was used for school, for academics, for mm-hmm. teaching, for learning, for instruction. It's the most comprehensive educational word that you could possibly have. We don't have anything mm-hmm. in English that is, is quite as broad as mm-hmm. paideia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the encyclopedia wow. says that any academic subject that could be taught as a separate subject, so gymnastics, philosophy, rhetoric, um, the arts, science, math, history, any academic subject that could possibly be taught as a separate subject um, is under the umbrella of the word paideia. 
And so the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, you are responsible for paideia, and it must be the paideia of the Lord. He doesn't say, raise your children in the paideia of the world, which mm-hmm. there was that. I mean, you had the Socratic schools and Greek culture. You had uh, the pagan schools that the Greeks sent their children to. God's people never did that. God's people didn't send their children to pagan schools. Mm-hmm. Um, they raised their children in the nurture and the admonition or the uh, the biblical counseling and the, the education of the Lord, which right, is distinct right. from the education of the world. Okay, so I know I, I try to think always out, out in the audience what what possible question could pop up from what you just said, and so I think that one of the things that a parent maybe being very um, pragmatic might have heard you say, "Dad has to teach all this stuff," um, but I think I from what I I understand it would be more that he is responsible for how they learn these things. Well, I think when you look at, uh, do a word search again through the Bible on education, you find passages where God commands fathers to teach and passages mm-hmm. where he specifically commands mothers to teach and instruct, mm-hmm. and they're both there. Okay. Um, ironically, there are more than twice as many commands in the Bible telling fathers to teach and instruct than there are passages telling mothers to. Mm-hmm. And so we have mm-hmm. to kind of infer from that what that means because the Bible doesn't spell that out necessarily and say, and this is right. what this means. You know, we have to infer the meaning from that. But typically in the Bible, when you find a repetition of an idea and something is stated over and over, particularly directed to a particular person or people group like that, what I would say is that God holds fathers twice as responsible mm-hmm. for the education mm-hmm. of their children. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. just like in... Uh, the garden, when Eve was deceived, and the Bible said, the Bible doesn't say Adam was deceived. It says Eve was deceived, and she took of the fruit, and she gave to her husband who was there with her, and he partook as well. Um, when, you, when you go into Romans, and you look at Romans 6, and it talks about the first Adam and the second Adam, um, it basically gives the responsibility for that sin of rebellion in the garden to Adam. It puts the culpability and the responsibility on mm-hmm. him even mm-hmm. though Eve is more prominent in the story. And it's because I think God held Adam responsible for yes. that situation. And he was mm-hmm. the one who was supposed to have instructed his wife on this and to make sure that she understood God's teaching on it. And so I think that it's somewhat similar within the educational framework that God holds the father twice as responsible. So I understand within our culture, uh, men are frequently working outside the home. They may be the primary mm-hmm. breadwinners. And so in terms of sheer number of hours with the teaching in, in most homeschooling families, it's going to be mom who's doing the majority of, of right, the teaching. Right, right, right. Uh, but, but it seems to me from scripture that God holds the man responsible more than twice as much for the discipleship of his children than the wife. And, and what we have within our Christian culture is this idea that the mom is supposed to raise the kids. She's supposed to train them. She's supposed to discipline them. She's supposed to educate them if we if we even go there. I mean, only before mm-hmm. right, COVID, right. only 2% of Christian families, you know, they taught their own children. But mm-hmm. but if anybody's doing it, it's usually mom. And it, at the bare minimum, like dad tries to help a little. Right, and right. And yet within the Genesis account, it describes the wife as being the help me to the husband, not the other way around. And mm-hmm. so it mm-hmm. seems to me that we've almost reversed the roles to where, the husband is kind of like a part-time helpmeet to the wife who does all the work, 
Biblical theology gives us a very different picture of that, that the fathers are held primarily responsible for the teaching and education. And, and then you have to go to a different book that I wrote called Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians, uh, where I do a deep dive into what the Bible says about parenting. And, and just I'll throw this in parenthetically, but one thing I found fascinating in, in studying for that book was that there are dozens of commands in the Bible about child discipline, and they're all given, either spoken generically about the importance of discipline, or they're all given to fathers. And there's not one verse in the entire Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, where God ever actually commands a woman to discipline a child. He commands fathers to over and over and over and over. And never once is there a command. Women are commanded to, to teach and instruct, but only men are commanded to discipline. So let me be clear. Let me jump in here because I'm anticipating the argument as well. Oh, Israel right. Wayne just said women aren't allowed to discipline. No, I didn't say that. Right. That's not what the right. Bible says. That's not what I'm saying. That's, that's not what God is teaching, that women aren't allowed to discipline children. But my view on that, based on my study on it, and you know, I encourage the listeners to do their own study and fact check me on it. But it seems to me that God holds fathers 100% responsible for discipline and more than twice as responsible for the education of their children than their wives. It doesn't mean women shouldn't teach. They should, absolutely. They're commanded to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't discipline their children. I mean, that's a necessity in many situations. But it, it just shows the emphasis of Scripture is quite different than the emphasis of culture. And mm -hmm. we're far more informed by our culture than we are by a biblical theology, either of education right. or parenting. Right, right. So the so feet on the ground, what might that look like um, in terms of walking that out? Because you've just put something in front of us that to most might seem very foreign and also feel impossible as dad is already quite uh his days are full trying to provide. Can you give some examples of what it might look like to take that responsibility or at least start moving that direction so that it's um, something that parents can help them make that connection, I guess is what I'm trying to sure. say. Well, I had a conversation with a guy years ago when I was speaking at a homeschool conference up in Alaska. And after the conference, this guy said, hey, would it be okay if I buy you dinner? Because he said, I have more questions. And so uh, we went to pick up some food. And as we were driving in his truck, um, I knew that he was a construction worker. Uh, it was what he did for a living. And he said, I just feel like I'm a bad homeschool dad because I've tried going to some of the support group meetings or co-op meetings from time to time. And he said, it's, it's all women. And all they want to do is talk about homeschool curriculum. I don't know anything about homeschool curriculum. I don't care anything <laughs> about homeschool curriculum. Like I'm supportive of homeschooling, but I just feel completely out of place in these environments. Mm -hmm. He's like, what, mm -hmm. you know, what, what, what do you say about that? Cause am I just, is that something wrong with me or is that typical? Mm -hmm. And so I thought of this illustration and I said, well, as a building contractor, if you're a general contractor for a house project, you might be hiring drywall guys and plumbers and electricians and mm -hmm, people who do mm -hmm. framing and all that. But if something goes wrong on the house, what are you going to do? Or like, what's the homeowner going to do? Uh, who are they holding responsible for that? And he said, mm -hmm. if I'm the general contractor, they hold me responsible. They don't go mm -hmm. talk to the drywall guy. They don't talk to the plumber. They, they come talk to me because I have been hired to oversee this whole process and to make sure that it is followed through all the way to completion. And I said, I think that's a really good way for a lot of men to maybe look at their responsibility. 
within this educational process. And so as a general contractor, what do you do with your subcontractors? He said, well, I have to have conversations with them frequently. We have to meet. We have to have have progress reports. I have to see how it's going. If they're stuck in some way, if things are bottlenecked, I have to know about Mm -hmm. that so that I can Mm -hmm. help fix it. I said, Mm -hmm. so let's say that they are bottlenecked on a part of the project and they say, look, we can't move forward because we don't have the right resources. We don't have the right equipment, the right tools, the right materials. I said, what do you do? And he's like, basically, I do whatever it takes to stop that bottleneck and to fix it and to make sure that things move forward. I said, exactly. So in the same way with homeschooling, you know, let's say that you have a meeting with your wife and she says, this math curriculum that we bought at the homeschool conference is not working for our child. We need to find something different. What do you do? I said, I'll tell you what most men do. Most men say, we don't have money for that. That's Mm -hmm. not in the budget. Mm -hmm. And yet men always find money for the things that are most important to them. They will Mm -hmm. find money for the the hunting trip that they want to take or for, for camping or for sports or whatever it is that their hobby is, golf, right? They find the time and money for the things that are important to them. And so your family needs to be a priority and the education and the discipleship of your children needs to be a priority. So you need to be willing to fix whatever needs fixed to move that forward. Mm -hmm. And then on the practical Mm -hmm. side within the home, one of the things that, you know, we have 11 children, my wife and I do. And one of the things that I recognize is that my wife's primary responsibility is not to care for my home, uh, as important as that is. My wife's primary need is to make sure that we're that she's working with me and nurturing our children's eternal souls. Mm-hmm. And so, if there's something that is broken in the house, the dishwasher is not working, the washing machine isn't working properly, or there's some time-saving device that needs repaired, or that I can purchase to free her up so that she doesn't have to be tending to that. And so Mm -hmm. she can be tending to our children. I need to do that. And Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of it is just having the communication as a couple. The Bible calls us co-heirs together of the grace of Mm -hmm. life. And so we are a team. And if you have a a typical scenario where the dad is working eight, 10 hours every day outside the home, the mom is the stay-at-home parent, she's teaching the children, then obviously just logistically, she's probably going to be doing the, the bulk of the teaching. But making sure that she's equipped, that she has everything she needs for the house to function properly, uh, for the homeschooling to be working properly, if the child has some special needs or some educational uh, requirements that, that require more attention, dad needs to be freeing up resources for that and making it a priority. And then finally, you know, teaching himself is imperative. Right. And mm-hmm. if fathers only have time for one thing, then I would say make sure that you prioritize the teaching of scripture and spiritual mm-hmm. formation with your children because that is vital and important. Absolutely. Actually, um, we just published a, a podcast episode recently with Steve Demi talking about taking the overwhelm out of family worship. So uh, moms, dads, if you're listening, um, go back and listen to that episode because it's a great encouragement. Um, it's just some simple ways to do this effectively with your kids without being overwhelmed. But um, this has been great, Israel. I'm so thankful that you uh, were willing to spend time with us today. I thank thank you for sharing all that you did. And I'm going to leave all the information in the show notes uh, for uh, parents to connect with you and to find your book and, well, actually all your books. Um, So uh, again, thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Would you mind uh, closing in a word of prayer? 
All right. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you know all things and that you choose to give wisdom to us. And you tell us in the book of James that if we lack wisdom, we can ask you and that you give mm -hmm. liberally without discrimination. And so we thank you, God, that you want us to raise our children well, and you've given us everything we need to do that within your word. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us to make this a commitment and a priority as a family, as a married couple, mm -hmm. um, that we would work together as a team uh, I pray, Lord, for the moms who feel overwhelmed because their husbands are maybe not involved and not teaching and not supporting the family as they should be. I pray that you would move on their husbands' hearts to engage in that way. Uh, but Lord, for those moms that are single parents or that are uh, functionally single parents, I pray that you'll give them courage. Uh, I know how you moved in my life. Um, in my teen years, my mom was a single parent. And Lord, I just thank you for her faithfulness and mm. how you are the father to the fatherless and the husband to the widow. And so I know you'll mm. do that for those situations where it's not ideal and that your grace will still be there for them. So Lord, we just commit ourselves to you for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, moms, one last resource before we part ways. Um, maybe some of you are listening and you're not actually homeschooling yet, but you're interested. Hopefully this episode was a great help and encouragement to you uh, to go ahead and, and make that move. But Classical Conversations um, equips parents with a proven curriculum and support from a local community of homeschool families all walking the same path together. Uh, you're their first teacher, be their best teacher. Learn how to make homeschooling doable at classicalconversations.com slash Dorenda. That's classicalconversations.com slash Dorenda. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Have a great day, moms. Mm -hmm.